Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea, joined in studio by none other than Molly Williams, my running partner. Hello, Molly. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) How are you, Sarah? Good, good. We have, before you walked in the door to record this podcast, we had not seen each other since Boston. I know. Have you been keeping me at arm's length so that this will (laughs) all all be be fresh? fresh. (laughs) Because we do have that. uh, It started with Dimity. No, no, no. Save it for the podcast. Save it for the podcast. No, I've just been too busy. I got back late Tuesday night. And then, oh my gosh, I I don't know. I My kids just, it was not a good day with my kids yesterday. And this is the end of the day, Thursday. And so... Um, yes. So, um, yeah. So I haven't seen you. I haven't seen you. And, and how has your training for Eugene been continuing? Oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> how much money did you find while I was gone? How about um, that question? I, I've, I've done pretty well. Uh, I, I haven't counted my money this month, but I think I maybe have found close, close to a dollar wow. and change. I know. So, so we instituted, um, a new, uh, share the road, uh, <laughs> <laughs> share the road rule in our running. And then I make Sarah, uh, switch the curbside with me from time to time because she was finding too much money. And, uh, and I started this on April 1st, not remembering it was April 1st. So you can figure out where this is going. So we're, we're coming home. We're just about done with with our, our run and she's she's like oh wait and she leans over and she's like oh I just found ten dollars and I'm like okay that's great I'm so happy for you you totally were that's, doing that like. <laughs> that's wonderful and so just to reiterate <laughs> sometimes you could have the curb and sometimes I gotta have the curb because this hasn't been fair you've been finding all the money and I'm not finding anybody and she's like oh, it's just a joke <laughs> no and you're just about to spiral out of control <laughs> I could true. tell that like this joke was going to go south very quickly forgotten all about this and i was like no no no, molly i brought the 10 with me it's a total gag i didn't find it (laughs) after five minutes like cooled down yeah it was a very funny joke it was very good it was perfect it totally got me yeah and then and then so like i got home and i walked in the back door and to to do my thing and i noticed that sarah was kind of standing outside the front door for a while i'm like oh well whatever she's just getting her npr going and then she's on her way home and then i left for work and i go out the front door and there's all this change on the sidewalk and i'm like oh ha ha she threw the change down that's so cute that's a good one that's another good one and then i go to pick up the change and it's glued down because her husband had glued down the change so it was really very good money gags and i had nothing i didn't come up with i know it just felt so brilliant because like i am not a good present giver and you know i am not like the the gagster and so that's totally your thing and you always give me these awesome gifts so that- you hit the nail on the head so with I'm April so, Fools. so pleased with myself yep. that I had two of them. And so, yep. yes, I had been, um, forget what I had going on the night before, why I thought like, like I was kind of pressed for time and Jack was going out. I'm like, oh, can you please glue this money in front of Molly's house? He's like, no, an excuse, excuse. I'm like, Jack, just glue the money in front of Molly's house, okay? <laughs> but when I was standing there and I knew that he had put it there, I couldn't find it. You were looking for it, weren't I you? I was yeah. looking for it. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, some kids must have come by and picked it up or something because he said it was hard to glue money down to the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, So, (laughs) so yeah. So then, um, but speaking of glued money, I have um, my other found money thing is, is that um, I, and this, I thought this was kind of payback thing. So um, our street got repaved and I was doing dynamic flexibility drills, which you'll hear more about in the podcast. And I was at the very corner of our property 
And they're perfectly poised at the very corner of this new um, handicap accessible, you know, little ramp or walkway off the um, newly redone sidewalk into the newly repaved street is a dime perfectly poised there. And I go down to pick it up and I realize it's paved into the new blacktop. And I'm like, that Molly, that Molly, she totally did that. I can't believe she came over when the, you know, the tar was wet and everything. And so then. And I didn't. <laughs> I wish I had. Talk on it. And I texted you. I'm like, did you put this dime here? And you're like, nope. And then, so I asked Jack, no, he didn't do it. And so I go inside and I, uh, get out a hammer and a um, screwdriver. And I'm like, John, John, come upstairs, come upstairs. He's like, what, what? You know, pulling himself away from the Wii. And I'm like, there's a dime outside. I'm going to pry it up. So I go out there and just put the screwdriver under it and pop out it comes. John was like, that was so much fun. We're so excited. He's like, let's go find more. And I'm like, you just can't go find more. I was like, but I did pass a penny that was like in the pavement on my run. So we go. And so by this point we rope Daphne into it. So, so we, um, so we park, I knew it was on Northeast 19th. I wasn't sure exactly which blocks it was between. So we park and we walk and we're walking. The kids are like, Oh, I'd want to live in that house. I'd want to live in that house. Oh, look, it has a balcony. Like it was really fun. Even just the, the going to find it. And then Daphne spotted it. And so I, you know, pried it out again. And then we wanted more. And I'm like, well, I know there's one penny over on this busy street, Northeast Fremont. And so we went and looked for it. <laughs> and, and so there's cars coming and it's not quite in the line of traffic, but to a lazy driver who's maybe not keeping quite a careful, like the kids could have been hurt. And so I wouldn't let them do it. I'm such a good mom. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't let them do it when cars were coming. Not in traffic <laughs> with cars. Right. Yeah. So so they would take turns, like there would be no cars coming for a little bit. And I'm like, okay, go, Daphne, go, 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 go. And it was just, that penny was not coming out. And so um, Daphne, without telling us, had taken the hammer. And on her turn, she, instead of trying to pry up, she banged down the pavement, which I thought was a very clever new approach, you know, really creative thinking, creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. So then, so I'm like, come on, come on, a truck's coming. So then the truck goes by. John gets down with the screwdriver and punk, and it was like an air hockey puck just flying. <laughs> and so it was really great teamwork. And we just, it was such silly, silly fun. And we just had so much fun. And your kids, your kids are into it. You've got your family found change jar, right? We do. We have, and they contribute to it. Everybody's right. looking, and yeah, that's a fun thing to do. Right, it is fun. It is fun. So we had um, a good time doing that. And I have to say that um, found change can work into a Boston story because. Um, uh, Michael Goff, who was, uh, I know, from Colgate, and he was a coxswain for Colgate Crew. I was a rower, so that's how we know each other. We had a really nice dinner with his wife, Marsha, on Saturday night before Boston. He lives in Needham, Massachusetts. And so he told me where he was going to be on the Boston Marathon course. I was like, oh, you know, Michael, do you have some noon? I would love if you would hand me a bottle of noon. And so he's like, okay, what flavor do you like? And all this stuff. And so, um, and I didn't think to ask him this in person. So we're d- conducting all of this over text. And so it's determined that he's going to meet me near the tennis courts near Wellesley High School. And he's going to hand me this bottle of grape noon. So I spot him and he had, he'd been really scared actually by the story of me not being able to find Laura, my Saucony 26 strong cadet in Chicago marathon. So he felt all this like mm. tense pressure to be like, I gotta find Sarah. And now I have this noon that I'm giving her. And so, but he had, you know, sent me a picture of the hat he'd be wearing, the Colgate hat and the Colgate shirt and this whole thing. So I spot him. I totally pointed at him. So he knew I saw him and he hands me this big bottle 
And I immediately see this Colgate C. They make these cloth C's that whenever you go to a alumni event, they put them on, you know, your cup or your drinks or you put it on your lapel or whatever. Um, not that I wear blazers to Colgate events, but anyway, men do. And so, um, so I saw that and I yell out, I love the Colgate C. And then I turn the bottle a little more and there's a quarter and a, and a penny taped also to the bottle. Oh, he knows you. I'm like, I love that. And so, so sure enough, I wasn't going to throw that 26 cents out. No. So I pry it off. That can, that can go in the running jar. I think that, that qualifies. Totally. So I pry it, pry it off. And get this, I'm trying to put it in the zippered pocket of the uh-huh. back of the Saucony Bullet Caprice because I was not going to lose. It was quarter. Come on. Right. And um, so so I actually stopped in the course, unzipped, pushed it in the pocket, re-zipped it, and then resumed running. And it wasn't until I think I got home to wash them that I opened that back pocket. It turns out I'd also shoved the C in there. So, so I have all the mementos. So, uh, so I did indeed put those into my found while running. Um, along with the Colgate C. So I figure at the end of the year, I'm going to get a smile on my face when I look at that Colgate C. Yeah. So, so thank you, Michael. That was, that was uh, wonderful. So, um, so I think we, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about Boston, this podcast, because mm-hmm. Molly and I are joined by a very special guest who has been on the show before. Uh, Brianna Bamer, the supremely talented and very caring coach who trained me to qualify for Boston in 2014. Then to come back, trained me again to come back from a multi-fractured ankle to successfully complete the Boston Marathon this month. So Brie also coached Dimity for her Pikes Peak Ascent and her 2013 Ironman. Brie herself is a talented triathlete and runner. She lives in Boulder with her husband and their two fur babies. She's a mom of two cats. And we're going to talk with Brie about coaching an athlete back from injury, as well as talk about how running partners can train for races together, even if they're maybe not the same, don't run the same pace or whatever. So try to make it a little bit broader conversation than just Sarah, 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 Boston, Boston, Boston. So, um, so we'll begin our conversation with Brie once we take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the podcast, dear Brie. Um, I have to admit, um, I might get a bit verklempt as you and I have not actually spoken since I crossed the Boston finish line. And um, you've seen my GPS data from race day. So um, I want to hear what your thoughts are about my race and, and people listening will hear this along with me for the first time. So, so, so lay it on the line. What do you think? Actually, I was thinking about that. I'm like, this is kind of cool that we get to talk about it in this way. Um, you know, first and foremost, I just, uh, I'm so proud of you and I just know what you've been through. So myself, I'm also just emotional thinking about you out there. Um, you know, when I opened up your file, I just, true to Sarah fashion, you followed that plan to a T and I just, I thank you for trusting the plan so you could get, you know, to have such a, a great experience out there, which I know you did. Um, if, if there's consistency, like you are, your misconsistency, your file is perfect. If you were to look at it with me right now, there's just this beautiful straight line of your pacing and how you executed everything based off of how we talked, which, you know, you and I talked about how we couldn't, we couldn't use pace as a guide that, you know, a lot, a lot of people like to use different methods of data to, um, kind of gauge how they're doing and pace is one heart rate's another and effort is yet another and effort's a great correlation actually to heart rate and we talked about keeping your effort at this like rp four or five max on the hills and you did that to a t to the point that you're and we've talked about normalized graded pace that your normalized graded pace was 20 seconds faster than your actual pace which meant you ran those hills like a champ i mean unbelievable oh. 
And it's just so cool to look at it because it's like you did everything like I asked you to. You held back on the net down, you know, at the start, and you you just kept that effort so consistent. So the effort you can just tell is always so consistent. And you got to the hills and you nailed the hills. And oh. it's and then you finished. Goodness gracious! Like you, you know, when, when I look at the file, all of a sudden there's this massive spike in the last 800 meters, <laughs> where Sarah's like, I can just see it now, her like sprinting, like I'm, you know, like I'm finishing the Boston Marathon, because um, it's pretty funny because you have this nice even keel, both both speed, effort, and your even your cadence. Your cadence was so consistent. Um, <clears throat> And then, you know, you get to the finish and there's this massive spike, which I just think is awesome. But <laughs> I had a little left in the tank, maybe. Oh, oh just a little. It was like, you know, like a twofold difference. And in... <laughs> <laughs> so funny because some of the pictures, I'm like, really, really? I sometimes honestly did not have my feet on the ground. I mean, every picture I look so flat footed. I was so upset. And I just was like, <laughs> really? I it just the, the, every picture I'm like there I am plodding along again but you weren't you weren't oh that's awesome that's awesome because you know my time it was slower than I thought maybe I was possible of running yeah and, well, uh, you, you kept your effort I mean everyone's time this year was very slow you know I mean it was a mm-hmm. tough year so if you look from the best you know the throws all the way down mm-hmm. um, and I know lots of people who ran that you know they don't coach they're just friends and their times were significantly slower and I think that's, you know, Boston in particular, you know, when you qualify for Boston, it's about hitting a time and it's so important to hit this time. But once you're at Boston, you have to respect the course, you know, and Boston is not always a fast course. We know that looking year after year, some years are are fast and some years aren't. And um, this clearly was not a fast year. I mean, the weather, both heat and wind proved to be a challenge and you have to respect the course. And you did such a good job doing that, you know, and sticking to your effort that, Gosh, again, when you got to the hills, you were running those hills so well. And, and that's what you want, right? When you're out there is to feel strong throughout the entire day. And, you know, hopefully you'll say the same, but it looks like you felt strong throughout the entire day with how you raced it. So I, I got to say, I'm, I'm really proud because I, I, you know, I, I think sometimes when you're in the later stage of a race that you can think, oh, I'm really pushing it. I'm really pushing it. And it's like, no, it's just I'm really tired. So it feels like I'm pushing it. Right. And so to, to, and you know, I've told the young people are like, Oh, how was your time? How do you feel you did? And I was like, well, you know, I was slower than I wanted to be, but I feel I really pushed on the Hills and I really had a strong finish. And, and so you- to hear you say that I did that, it's just incredibly rewarding. Thank you. Yeah, it's funny to me because we hadn't talked yet and that's exactly what I'm looking at. You know, I'm looking at you running your Hills even stronger than you ran the earlier miles and finishing really strong, um, just from the pace perspective, you know? And so again, like your normalized graded pace, meaning take out all the Hills, what was your pace was 20 seconds faster than your actual pace, meaning you just, you nailed the Hills, you nailed them, which is just cool to see. So. Wow. Wow. Thank you. And I promise I will let Molly talk at some point, but I do have a, I do have a follow-up question to that. Um, that, so did you have an overriding principle or something guiding you as as you coach me with my affected ankle like the like you know the fact that I'd suffered a major trauma last May was that always forefront in your mind yeah it was you know I think obviously in training regardless there's um a balance between you know all runners know this volume intensity rest all of those things um but you coming back from such a traumatic injury um, there's other things that you're dealing with, you know, as, as you, as you know, when you do marathon training, you have stiffness and aches and pains and all sorts of things you deal with, but we're also dealing with rehabbing 
your body. So flexibility in your ankle, um, weaknesses and imbalance, you know, imbalances within your muscles that have developed because you're, you had an affected part of your body that you were having to compensate for. Um, so, you know, all the training had to change to how can we get you to Boston? Um, not just, you know, obviously running well, but actually running functionally well. And, um, so that you wouldn't get hurt, you know, that's just so important so that you could not be hurt during the training, but also not get hurt actually on that course, which is a very difficult course to run on. So it was always forefront of just, you know, we're training to make sure that you get there healthy, not just so that you can run fast, you know, um, and that's hard when you have a comp- something that's compromised, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, Brie, um, hi, how are you? <laughs> good, how are you, Molly? <laughs> oh, I'm good. I'm good. I, you know, I haven't seen Sarah since the Boston Marathon. She's, you know, come back. She's had the kids and all this kind of stuff. So I'm just hearing all this for the first time, too. But, um, you know, what do you think she could have done had the weather just been perfect and everything been perfect? Like, what would you think, like, her ultimate time time could have been? Um, I, based on what she had been doing. Yeah, I projected, you know, just with what she had been doing and, you know, on a perfect day that she would have been under 415 easily. Um, really? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking too. Yeah. Yeah. 15, 16, 17, you know, she ran 432 faster than what she did. Um, just from all of the training, you know, I'll, and that's all just based off of data and just seeing what you guys have done. Um, that was a very reasonable time for her to hit, which... Mm-hmm. I got excited about just thinking about, and I did not give Sarah a time. Sarah knows that I didn't give her a time because I didn't want her to focus on a time. You know, like I wanted her to focus on an effort and let the time be what it, what it was and be really smart about how she was executing the day. And, you know, in the back of my mind is like, Oh, it'd be really cool if she ran this. Cause I know she's capable of actually running this time on, on Boston, which is a tough course after having broken an ankle. Um, so I think that was definitely very plausible. Mm-hmm. Looking at uh, the data, do you feel like there's somewhere she could have tweaked a little bit to get a stronger time? I mean, I, I think she did great. I'm, I'm just asking the tough questions because yeah, I'm, I'm curious. It's a good question. I mean, there's a lot, you know, every time you do a race, you know this as a runner, there's always the what if. So what if I done this? What if I done that? Exactly. Um, you know, she could have gone out. She could have gone out stronger. She held back and was, she did exactly what I asked her to do. So mm-hmm. there's nothing she could have done without her not following my plan. (laughs) And I don't do that. I follow your plan. (laughs) She's been naughty. Um, But yeah, like she could have gone out faster. And, you know, with the training that we did, I think she still would have been strong on the hills, but I'm glad she didn't because you just don't know with the heat, you know, from what, you know, from what I heard on the day, it was very hot at the start and you just don't know what that's going to do to you later in the day. So, you know, if you look at it and I look at her training, she you know, she probably could have gone out faster and we still would have felt an RP for potentially, though you don't know with that heat. Um, but she could have done that and maybe still been fine. But I'm glad she did what she did. You know, I'm glad that she held back and was really smart. Yeah, it could have gone the other way too, right? She could have gone exactly. out too fast and gotten fatigued. Yeah, because, you know, you, you and I talked, Brie, before and you were saying, well, you remember that net downhill really plays it in on your quads. And I'm like, no, because when I ran ran Boston it was so hot that I didn't notice everything felt hard so it didn't feel to me like a net downhill and so this time I did notice um and my I mean I've I've never had my quads in particular be more thrashed in the final miles of a race and after a race than than Boston do you think that was your ankle part of it going downhill like 
that was somehow transferring to your quads. You've you've been having some hard time with the downhills with your ankle. Um, yeah, but that would be we. I think we were more worried about my ankle jamming, which oh. was the, the this was really truly a quad and up into the hip uh-huh. flexors of just just cr- like oh yeah that cement block feeling and at one point Bria it was funny there was this um very lithe young w- woman runner ahead of me and we were probably I don't know three quarters of a mile from the finish and she suddenly like did this little kind of fancy prancy step and I was like oh right I could do like you know the active drills I could change things up because Dathan always is like oh if you need to change up your stride in mm-hmm. a race and suddenly I'm like I get what you mean Dathan That's- <laughs> So I did a little, and I did like two prancy steps, and I'm like, okay, that was enough, like yeah. because I thought I'm going to seize up and fall to the ground if I try to do prancy steps. Were you again. doing that on the hill? Uh, and I was just, it was, I mean, it was calm av before uh-huh. we turned on to Hereford, and I just was like, okay, that changed things up for a second. Now, now I'll go back to my thunk, thunk, thunk. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't read the plan, um, but did you, uh, Bree? Did you put any little sprinkles in there, like you know, like you do with uh, the plans? you do for us a little 30 minutes fast or 30 seconds fast 30 seconds slow i didn't on this one you know Uh like i know in your um victoria race plans there we talked about doing some little surges to kind of wake up the legs and i didn't do that for boston um because i was so keen on her keeping that that even keel effort Mm -hmm. and not trying to do anything special out there that was going to potentially cause something later in the race you know that that we didn't want um and you know Sarah, just talking about those downhills, you see how important, like we did downhill repeats and we did mm-hmm. things to, to practice. People forget about Boston, that downhill, like I was telling you, and you have mm-hmm. to prepare the quads. And even doing that, you could tell, you know, your quads take a thrashing on that course. It's so hard to fully simulate, you know, that experience at Boston, mm-hmm. um, and which is why you still kind of have to be really smart. And I did not put that in our plan this time, just, you know, more again, because I, I really wanted the day to be very smart, you know, very calculated, smart effort, um, you know, particularly with what you've been through, if it was a different scenario, we could take risks, you know, but I didn't want you to, to take a risk that wasn't worth taking, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, when yeah. you're going time, those 30 second efforts can really help make sure that you're staying on pace or like we say, surge, you know, surge into the aid station so you don't lose as much time. Things like that can be really helpful when you're trying to hit a time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I spent I spent a lot of time walking through aid stations. Yeah, <laughs> oh, good. You probably needed to. Yeah. Did Did you feel like your race effort was consistent through the thing? Like, did you feel like you were four, or did you feel like at the end you were? So I, you felt... know, just because you were tired, you were five or six, or <clears throat> no, I felt like it was four. I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely, and there were, I mean, there were sometimes toward the top of the hill, it would feel like a five, but um, I mean, I felt the earlier miles were harder than the. I felt better in the second half. Really? I, I mean, it was it was hot in the first half. Oh, it was and, shadier and breezier. And there's, there's no shade. I mean, come on. There's mm-hmm. no leaves on the trees out there yet. Oh. And so it's just it's so frustrating going back east at this time of year because it is so, you know, spring is just in all of its like fecund glory out here. Mm-hmm. And you go out there and it's like, oh, hello, brown trees and brown grass. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> so and then, you know, I mean. Uh, it was also high noon. Yeah, it is. That's yeah. another thing. You know, it's it's noon, and there's you know the buildings that are along the way are so low slung that there's no shade from them. And you know, I mean, no disrespect to some of those towns, kind of before you get to Wellesley, but but they're not there are there's stretches that are not super scenic, 
And, um, you know, there's always great crowds. There's always great crowds and they're fun, you know, like kids on trampoline, little mini trampolines. Oh, cute. And, um, oh, there's this one house that had an enormous, enormous American flag hanging from it um, on the side of it. And so, you know, there was a lot of interesting stuff to look at, but the first half of that race was very demanding. Very How much time did you lose kissing girls? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I <laughs> kissed two Wellesley women. And um, so, and they were both holding the same sign. They were not uh-huh. near each other, but they were both holding the same sign. And um, so I will tell the extended remix version of this story, yeah. which is that, um, so people listening to the podcast know that I regretted not uh, kissing one of the Wellesley girls who are holding signs that say, kiss me, you know, kiss me, I'm a math major. Oh, yeah, I know, totally kiss them. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and I did not do it in 2012. And it was one of my regrets from 2012. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to find one and I'm going to kiss them. So. So this one, uh, and they are—they do call themselves Wellesley girls. So I'm not being derogatory when I say that. And so this one um, girl, this one coed was—I uh, guess she's not a coed. She goes to a women's college, so um, she's holding a sign. And so I like point to her, like I'm coming in for a kiss. And so I felt like, well, that's really presumptive of me. So I put my hand on her shoulder to like have some sort of like initial contact with her. And then I kissed her on the mouth. And then I keep running. And I was like that's like kissing Phoebe on the mouth. Like, it's just like, yeah, she's so young. <laughs> you know? I yeah. mean, I guess I, I don't think men, you know, old men, my age kissing, you know, 20 year old girls probably don't feel the same way, but I was just like, she's just a night. She's just, Oh yeah. I just want to hug them and be like, study hard, right? make good choices. Right. So, so, <laughs> so then, so I keep, so I'm like, I'll proud of myself. And so then I keep writing. And then I see a different um, young woman holding a sign that says the exact same thing. I'm like, well, come on. If I kiss the first one, I got to kiss the second one. And um, she did not look as wholesome. Uh, I will say that. And, um, she, and in fact, one of the other, one of the Highlands runners, like totally was like, Oh, she was the one who was wearing that really low cut shirt and this, this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, wow, I didn't notice all those details. But so, um, so she made it very clear that I was not to kiss her on the mouth. And so I kissed her right next to her mouth mm-hmm. and kept running. So. Well, and that sore is hardly visible. <laughs> it's, you, with that little concealer, nobody's going to notice. It's okay. I did suddenly think, wait, Zika's like transmitted by saliva. So I, I carry Your a... Your unborn um... baby is in peril, huh? <laughs> right, right. Oh my gosh. Did you put uh, time for her to kiss kiss people in the plan? You probably didn't. I did huh? not. Oh, that's I'm funny. Really, yeah. Now saying that you're like the the rule follower, it's now yeah. all over. right. Oh, great, Sarah. Now you did that, and I didn't tell you to do that. <laughs> Doesn't sound like she slowed down too much. <laughs> Um, so, um, I, but I carry a, um, washcloth from whatever hotel I stay in when I run a marathon and, and, um, and so after I kissed the second one, I kind of like wiped my mouth a little bit <laughs> <with the> washcloth. <laughs> Um, so, and then, then I was like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm into, you know, I'm, I'm good on kissing all these strangers. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, yeah, come on BC. Let's see some hot Catholic guys. And no, I, I didn't see a single man holding a sign that said, kiss me. I'm Aww. like, oh, come on. And by that time I was just so, I was in like tunnel vision zone. I just was like running and just mm-hmm. had to keep going and people would like cheer you know like go Sarah Bowen chair whatever and I would like give him like a big thumbs up but I just kept going so you were in the pain cave huh I was in the pain cave and I was most assuredly in the where pain did cave. that start um, halfway um I I I was in the um yes. cave of disc of extreme discomfort probably starting at mile um six or <gasps> seven or eight really because of the heat yeah oh my goodness yeah and oh. um and I then 
that's then by about mile 12 i thought okay you know what what positive what 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 um good feeling you know what what can i do to instill confidence in me and and a positivity in me and so i thought i am going to charge those hills Mm. i'm just going to charge those hills you didn't worry about pooping out um getting tired or, yeah. or crapping myself getting tired, <laughs> getting tired. Not, not crapping yeah. yourself <laughs> losing you know your energy um, no i just feel like um i mean you did better than i did on hill repeats but i feel i am a strong hill runner and brie had reminded me of that from the, our half marathon yeah, you that are. we did mm-hmm. and um i remembered from boston 2012 in the heat that i passed a boatload of people on those hills mm-hmm. and so i just literally leaned into the hills and ran up them that's Strong. courageous, yeah. especially oh, feeling thanks. bad going oh, into it. You oh, could have pulled thanks. back. Oh, thanks. But she's not like that, is she, Brie? You've noticed that from her her data, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You mean, meaning like she's a good hill runner? Well, she just, she doesn't back away from the pain. No. I mean, you know, and, and particularly what's always great about Sarah is she's got a positive attitude about when she has something hard that she has to do. Tell me um, about it. She just kind of embraces <laughs> it and like, I'm just going to do it. You know, and it's it's a great attitude to have because often we we set ourselves up obviously for failure when we decide that it's not possible. But even just the sense the sense of a doubt of something can really change how something feels. You know, mm-hmm. so if you have a confidence about it, it's going to feel a lot different than if you have this uh, trepidation about it. So, mm-hmm. but it's hard not to have trepidation when oh, you have I trepidation. Know. The more you do it, though, I think what's great about training and I mean you guys can probably both speak to this is that what's great about training is that it should instill confidence that you've done it before so when you yeah. reach a tough tough patch a hill you can you can reach back in your memory to a run where you've done the same thing and you got through it and there's at least some confidence that it's not like you can't do it you know I think the first time you do anything there is a, a trepidation you know someone who runs their first marathon and they've never actually run 26 miles they've maybe run 20 or 21 there's that fear of, can I actually run 26? I've never done that. But once you've done it, there's got to be a confidence inside you that you've been through that before. And you have to use that. I mean, it's such an important thing to draw upon training. I mean, training, Sarah, I'm a broken record when I say this. Race day is just a glorified training day. You know, you do what you've always done. You just happen to have a bunch of people cheering for you and a finish clock at the end. You know, I mean, that's the only difference, right? You know, it's still training. It's what you do every day. So you just mm-hmm. have to remember that. Yep. Uh, so I'm supposed to ask you about the dynamic flexibility drills before and after the runs. What are the purpose of these drills and why, why does Sarah look so stinking dorky? Not me. I, I am grace personified, but uh, she looks quite funny doing them. I'm glad you made that clarification. <laughs> and, I, and I don't like doing them before or after, but I do sometimes. I'm mostly 78%. Yeah. See- it seemed like you had us doing dynamic flexibility, which I love. Seems like you had us doing them even more this time around. Yeah, I mean, this was for you, Sarah, because of your ankle. Um, mm-hmm. So important to instill flexibility in in your body before you started a run, and then also to not just leave a run without um, doing flexibility work to make sure that you don't just have a big ball of tightness heading into sit down and watch TV or whatever, you know, or to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the dynamic flexibility, you know, we've talked about just the, the value in terms of form and function that it's instilling in your body, but it's also prepping your body for what you're about to do. Um, and so doing it before I felt, you know, was just really important for your ankle um, and just t- total function. So not just your ankle, but your hips and everything, because it's all connected. So the problem in your ankle will 
deviate up to the rest of your body in terms of how the rest of the body is functioning. So if the ankle's not mobile, guess what? Hip's not going to be as mobile either, you know? And so if we can try to make sure the whole body's ready, even better. And then after, of course, you know, it's just so important to do all those little things. So you're not just, again, leaving your run, having not made sure that everything's nice and fluid instead of tight and, and tired. So I know it's annoying, but gosh, it's such an important thing to do. It's, it's so fundamental to, it's the little things. I said this to Sarah, you know, the little things that make your training better. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, if you can do it regularly, those are the things that will make the good days good, you know, that, that are, or even beyond what you thought they could be because you made sure your body was ready for it. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you do dynamic flexibility after you run? I do. Yeah, I do all sorts. I mean, I do all sorts of stuff even just during the day when I'm not training just to keep my body loose. I'll get up out of my desk and I'm sure my coworkers think I'm nuts. <laughs> like there she is, the crazy, crazy Iron Man person doing her little frills, you know. <laughs> you know, when you sit at a desk all day, I mean, you know, when you're sitting, things start to get tight. And then if I'm going to leave work and go for a swim, I guarantee you my swim's not going to be as good if I if I haven't done some of those things throughout the day to keep my body loose. So I'm kind of oh, one yeah. of those. Might, might as well, you know, get out of the desk and move a little bit. Wow, yeah, absolutely. And, and poor Molly, she's a veterinarian. And I mean, so she has to be on her feet all day. And yeah. so, you know, a couple times during training, she was like, that's it. I just, I'm so tired. I'm going to take a day off. You, you know, do the workout by yourself or whatever. And I'm like, man, if I had to stand all day, I'd be griping a whole lot more than Molly is. And Molly gripes a whole lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> But the plan wasn't for oh, me. Oh, I wish I could be on a training with you guys. It's so awesome. <laughs> maybe yes, maybe no. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so it also seemed to me um, that, that you had us doing more strength training than when you coached me to qualify for Boston, or am I misremembering that? No, that's true. And again, that's for your ankle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, when you asked me at the beginning, you know, was that was that forefront of my mind? That's why all those things like the flexibility drills um, – additional strength work is in there. Not that strength work isn't important in and of itself but to do it regularly, but, um, I was very nervous about you getting injured because you had an asymmetry that had developed or a, um, you know, an imbalance that had happened because of that ankle, you know, you were out for quite a bit of time, plus, you know, compromising the body just from the trauma mm-hmm. that we needed to make sure that we were retraining the muscles to do what they need to do when they run. Um, when you do a marathon, regardless, there's going to be a point where there's a fatigue in the muscles. I always feel like your limiter is your muscles, not your lungs. You know, your lungs mm-hmm. can probably be 10 times longer, but your muscles have to deal with pounding for 26 miles. And, you know, inevitably things are going to start to misfire, not function as well as they could. And so strength training is one of the best things you can do to make sure that you're instilling proper muscle function, making sure that they're strong enough to withstand the pounding. I mean, so that the joints and everything else are strong enough to withstand the withstand the pounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I did that because, you know, again, with your ankle, the task was we need to finish 26.2 miles healthy. Um, and so we needed to do those things and poor Molly had to suffer through it as a result. <laughs> but it was really good for me. I, you know, I don't like doing the strength training, but, uh, I do feel stronger. Uh, and I, I can feel it in my daily life, uh, with, you know, my posture and just being on my feet and I, my running is stronger too. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really appreciate having that worked in and not having to think about how to, to do it. 
Um, so thank you yeah. for that. Yeah, I think it's oh. good for everybody. I, I, I think that's been like the biggest change with this cycle is the strength training, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I think I definitely want to continue with the strength training. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've already talked to Brie about that. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, there yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, and, and I do have to say that um, some of the Highlands people who are watching, they were right near the finish line. I think they, yeah, they had grandstand um, badges. And uh, they both of them said, Sarah, you just had the greatest posture when you went by. Like you were like upright and everybody else was like hunched over and everything. You just look like really strong. I was like, oh, that's so awesome. That's great. Yeah. That is one of the biggest things I feel too is my posture when I'm running. That mm-hmm. I'm not so hunched over and I can get more into my glutes because I'm up more upright. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, Bree? Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what you're, you're doing. Is you're, I mean, running is a glute-based activity. People don't realize that. Um, it, that's your powerhouse. And when that's strong, everything else, you know, when your glutes are strong, your hips are open, everything else follows suit. So the, yeah, that's a great observation you made, even just of feeling that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she went to like some sort of medical school or something. I, don't I know. know. Really? <laughs> Sarah has a very big butt. <laughs> I have an equine butt since you studied farm animals. Well, that's why you're so good on the hills. You got that big butt. <laughs> She's totally lying. Um, okay, so um, so so Bree, what pointers would you give BRFs like Molly and me when when you're training together and one's coming back from an injury and the other one is healthy? It's it's tough. Um, and Molly, you probably can speak to, you know, you, you probably started out at a much different fitness level than Sarah. No. Um, <laughs> you know, just because you she hadn't been able to train, you've been training. And I'll say first and foremost, um, even when two people are at a different level, that's where things like effort can can be really valuable. Um, and that's too where you have intervals, you can kind of circle back and things like that. But maintaining your effort is so important. So you can go do a workout with your with your friend and let's say the effort is a tempo effort and you either have a heart rate value or just an RP that you're following. Um, and you just do your thing and you just follow your effort and you can both be getting a really good workout. And for Molly, her RP five might be a different pace at that point. Um, but as long as you're sticking to what is appropriate for you, there's no reason why you still can't do the same workout, right? It's just relative. You know, oh yeah, Molly's absolutely. Time is just a little bit harder than Sarah's at that time. And then eventually when Sarah catches up, maybe she can run next to you and, you know, so, and you could probably speak to that, Molly, how, you know, you have the same exact same workout. It's just slightly different because your effort is at a different level. Well, yeah, I've got two things to say about that, um, that I felt going into this race, uh, this was Sarah's race and it was your training plan for her specifically. And I think you executed it beautifully. I'm very, very impressed. And, um, I'd love to talk more about your process too. Uh, and it was her race and I was along for the ride and my goals for my race are, are really just to do what I can do. And I don't really have a big goal. And we've talked Sarah, and I've talked about that. We may do a training plan for me to do my goal race. And then the goal will be different and the training will be different. But in the last training cycle, um, that we did before she broke her ankle, uh, she was much stronger and she would run ahead and run back. And, and that worked out really nicely. You know, so we, when we had to do intervals or yeah. sometimes I would just say, you know, okay, I, I'm, I've had it for the day. You just head on with that without me and I'll just, you know, do a slower pace and I'll call you when I'm done and you can come pick me up, <laughs> <laughs> which is what happened. <laughs> you, you both go in knowing that. And I think it's still really valuable to have that partner there because they're still supporting you through the workout, even if though you're not right next to each other. You don't have to be right next to each other. Oh, yeah. 
And everybody has their their own reason for running, and yeah. mine essentially is to have some company and get out, and not a particular goal. And you know, other times your your reasons for running are different. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So and then so trying to I'm um, first of all I have to say it was Molly's idea to have you on the podcast. And I think it was such a brilliant idea, Molly. And, oh, like Molly. <laughs> yeah, I'm brilliant. Yeah, and, uh, but. But also it was your idea then to also say, oh, well, okay, then we can have Bree talk more about, you know, wh- how friends can train together for a race. And so, so I, th- um, I, maybe we were a little unique in that we had races on different days, but, um, uh, because I guess a lot of running partners would do the same race, but, um, uh, Bree, what would be your advice to running partners training for races on different days? And particularly, um, like what should the quote later racer do when her buddy starts to taper? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> Yeah, so for I mean, instance. Well, you know, obviously your cycles will be just a little bit off potentially, um, you know, depending, you know, every, every athlete's different in terms of the volume they can handle and the things that they need to do to get to the finish line. So sometimes things can be very similar at the same time for two athletes. And sometimes it can be very different um, depending on, you know, again, how that athlete handles training. But, you know, the biggest thing, you know, when, it, when an athlete is like you tapering for the race and Molly still has two weeks to go is obviously still sticking to her plan, um, and, and doing the things she needs to do. And that doesn't mean she can't join you for things. So let's say you have, you know, your last longish run of eight miles, but Molly has to do 12. Well, great. Molly joins you for eight and she continues on for four more. Um, and it doesn't mean you still can't train together, you know, and still mesh in some things, just making sure that Molly doesn't all of a sudden follow your plan when she still needs to get in a little bit more of her training and follow through till she gets to her time to taper. Um, but that, you know, just because you're in a different race doesn't mean you still can't go on runs together and try to meld workouts that are very similar, just slightly different, maybe in length or how many intervals you're doing and things like that. So, um, it's a great support to have, you know, obviously just Molly shouldn't taper quite as soon, but don't get <laughs> you tempted. Hear that, Molly? You hear that, Molly? I, I didn't, I didn't, I circled back and did a second 20 and then I started the taper and I figure okay. next week when I'm in my taper, you can join me because you'll be ready to get back to some light mm-hmm. exercise. Perfect. So. Yeah. 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 Works out just dandy. Yeah. Thank you, Bree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, all right. So, um, I think this might be our final question, although I know we could both probably talk to you for about two yeah. or three more hours. Yeah. Um, so that, um, Molly and I did though do a tune up race on the same day, as you know, um, it was Valentine's day, a half marathon. And you gave me some really interesting insight into, um, why not to race a training partner in a race about how it can hold a runner back from fulfilling her own potential. So could you kind of, um, share that sage advice with people listening to please? Absolutely. You know, I think, um, you know, Molly said this, which I think is a, a great point is everybody runs for different reasons. Um, and certainly, you know, running to beat a person could be a reason for somebody, but it, it's a dangerous thing to do. And I'm sure, you know, in training, you can attest to this a day where Molly feels great, a day where Molly doesn't feel so great. You feel great. Don't feel great. doesn't match up. Right. And so you're following her instead of following you. And it potentially means that you aren't doing your thing and doing your best because you're keying off of somebody else instead of yourself. Now in the pro ranks, when they're racing for a finishing place, there might be tactics involved where they hang with somebody and then go and things like that. But when you're trying to go and hit your very best race, your very best time, you need to do your thing. You can't key off of somebody else and expect that they're going to do what's right for you because they're not you. Um, and I, I think it's just, 
it's a dangerous place to go. You don't know um, where that person is at on that day, how they're feeling on that day. It's it's so much better for you to stick to your plan to how you feel and execute and not feel either beholden to what the person is doing or frustrated if they're ahead of you. Like just stick to your plan. You have no idea. And it's it's a detrimental thing, I think, overall to, to try to key off of other people because um, you just don't know what, what's going on for them. Um, and I've done it myself. I mean, it's something that I've learned is, you know, I've done races before where I've tried to go out with people and should have just done my own thing. and I would have been fine, but I felt that I needed to. And vice versa, where, you know, I've I've held back when I should have just gone thinking that, well, if this person's running this, I probably shouldn't go any faster and, and knowing, well, wait, I feel good. Why am I not going? Mm-hmm. You know, and so just really listening to yourself. And I think that's where, again, um, paying attention to how you feel is probably the most important piece of data you can always use. I mean, you know, people can get stuck on garments and, and other things and a clock, and that's just not ultimately what you should be paying attention to. It's a great piece of data. It's a great level set for you. But at the end of the day, how do you feel? Do you feel good? All right, go, you know, I mean, or do you not feel so good? Do you need to hold back? Well, hold back. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and being okay with it. And I think part of that is being, there's a part of pride that kind of needs to be put aside. You know, if somebody's going ahead that you think you should be able to keep up with, just, you know, put your pride aside and stay with what you're doing. Cause you never know later in the race, you might catch that person. Mm-hmm. Um, because maybe they are going to out too fast and you are just sticking to what you need to do. Um, so it's, it's a tough one. Cause I know there's probably people who get very competitive and want to beat a certain person, but it's probably, at least in my mind, one of the most dangerous things you can do to hinder your personal best performance. Um, cause you, there's no way any two runners are the same physiologically enough to run the same best race in the same exact way. Cause there's a million ways you can get from point A to point B and it's always, how can you get there the best that your body can, you know? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. always good advice. Yeah. There was a woman, um, who I was, um, with during a lot of the race, she was wearing this kind of jade green tank top and I would pass her on the Hills, but then she would catch up with me really pretty quickly after the Hills. And I, and she was a lot smaller than I was. And I was like, dang nabbit why does she keep doing that and then you know i made that decision at the end to really just go balls to the walls and i left her behind and um then afterwards i thought well maybe maybe i didn't see her because she was running so strong and then i was like nope mm -mm, she finished after i did so wow yeah i was excited so and that's just i mean imagine if you try to stay with her on the downhills it probably would have done something to your ankle it shouldn't have and you just stick to what is right for you Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. It's, it's just, it's, it's something I've had to learn over the years is not pay attention to what other people are doing. Just, mm-hmm. you know, race your race. It's, it's mm-hmm. so important because you get caught up in what other people are doing and you do, you tend to do stupid things. I've done stupid things trying to keep up or do something that wasn't actually appropriate for me. Um, and that's what training's about, right? Is learning what, you know, learning you and learning what's, you know, what's appropriate for you. Um, so well, Bree, thank you so much. Like I said, we could talk to you for hours and hours. Yeah, um, yeah. and Bree, thank you for the great training plan and being so uh, generous, letting me follow along with Sarah's plan. It's been really helpful for me as well. And I look forward to meeting you sometime and, and hearing about your racing, which sounds very interesting. Yeah, no, I, I keep telling Sarah, I, I really need to get out there. and mm-hmm. love to meet the kids and yeah, it'd be yeah. great. And see us do the active drills. It would be- yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that alone is worth the trip, right? Exactly. That's worth the $300 plane ticket out here for sure. Let me tell you. (laughs) All right, Bree. Well, it was lovely talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, ladies. And congratulations, Sarah, again. It was an amazing thing that you did. So. Oh, thank you very much. All right, I'm going to have to hang up now because otherwise I'll get all weepy. So. Okay. All right. Love you. Okay. Bye, 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 Bye-bye. 
yeah, that was, um, she just has such a, a generous heart and she really does. Yeah. And I got to, I read her comments to you and they are just so generous. And that's another thing I want to talk to her about. Like, why did she get into this? And, and you've got to be a really generous giving person to be a trainer like this, especially not visual. And like, do people, does she ever feel like people don't give it their all? And then how does she respond to that? Because mm-hmm. yeah, she was, she, she's great. She is great. Yeah. She is a gem, truly a gem. So, um, well, let's head on over. Let's hear from another gem, Dimity. Oh, absolutely. Uh, with a report from Train Like a Mother Club. Hello, hello. It's Dimity in Denver with your Train Like a Mother Club corner. This comment had me LOLing. And um, anyway, it's from Caroline, who is in the Train Like a Mother heart rate marathon program. So the, that challenge hasn't even really started the official First wave goes off on May 9th, but the Facebook page is already all chatting, chatting, um, fun stuff. And this one is very funny. It's kind of long, too. Okay, she she writes, OMG, total AMR running story, kind of long. This morning, I go out on my second sub 140 heart rate run about 7 a.m. As I am slowly jogging up the street, I hear a plaintive daddy, which I assume is coming from some child who does not want to be up doing whatever daddy thinks he should be doing. As I get closer, though, I see a two or three-year-old in a t-shirt and a diaper standing on the sidewalk calling for his father. These are the quote-unquote hi there when you are walking the dog neighbors. I've had one conversation with the father, enough to know that his wife is a surgeon who leaves at 6 a.m. for work and he's a stay-at-home dad. So I say, hi, sweetie, where's your dad? The boy, I don't know. Me, is he in the house? The boy, sniff, sniff, shrug, me. Let's take a look. I ring the doorbell a couple times and knock. No answer. Now I'm starting to worry that something had happened to the father, so I test the door, which is open. Duh, that's how the boy got out. And I tell the boy to go inside and call loudly for his father, which he does. No response. So I go in, singing hello, in a tone of voice that says, Nice person here, just trying to figure out if someone is home. I say this several times, getting louder each time. Suddenly, the father stumbles out down the hall, buck naked, obviously half asleep. The boy, of course, runs joyfully into his arms, which, mean he, which means he has to use both hands to pick the poor kid up. <laughs> I duck, shade my eyes, stare at the ceiling, and say something along the lines of, I'm sorry I'm in your house, but your son was out on the sidewalk and he didn't seem to know where you were. He, still half asleep, says something about not hearing the beep that the alarm makes when the door opens. Yeah, and that his kid and the doorbell and the knock. Yeah, that and his kid and the doorbell and the knocks and my singing hellos. Didn't hear any of them. Okay, great. Looks like you got this under control. I'm going to finish my run. And then she writes, some men. I should have made, made him pay me money not to tell his wife. P.S. Just so everyone knows, we live in the back of a super quiet, super safe neighborhood, and the child was not near the road. Not that that excuses the dad, but it makes the story funnier. All right, so there's your story. Hopefully you don't run and have to go save any children and um, go in and deal with dads who are buck naked at at 6 a.m. But um, hope you have a great week of running, and I will see you next week on the Train Like a Mother Club Corner. Speaking of the Train Like a Mother Club. Giddy up, ladies. We are opening registration for numerous new programs on Monday, March 2nd. 
Everything from a stride into summer program that will keep you moving and motivated for five weeks to a 12-week heart rate training 101 plan to our 18-week marathon programs that will get you primed and pumped for a fall marathon. All the details are at trainlikeamother.club. Again, that's trainlikeamother.club. And wherever your feet may take you, many happy miles to you. 